Well, this morning I wanted to start, well, every week, I want to, to start our week with, with something positive, something encouraging. And this morning I want to share with you a video that began to circulate on the internet of a, uh, a baby named Scarlett that because of uh, some issues during birth was, uh, had some, some hearing issues. And she's being fitted for a hearing aid at this time. And uh, the, the joy is just uh, contagious as you, you watch this, this video. Life is, is truly precious. All forms of life are precious. In Acts chapter 17, verse 25, Paul said that this God is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else to people. This Sunday is a sanctity of life Sunday. It's a, a Sunday that is set apart every year to to remind us of, of how God has given us life. And all life is valuable. Especially those that uh, are not yet born. There are a number of, of services that are, are provided for those that uh, have unplanned pregnancy, that, that give them options outside of Abortion, And one of those is the, the CareNet uh, Pregnancy Center here in Amarillo. And we have uh, one of our own members, Kathy Reyna, that, that works for them and, and does a lot of work. And there are some flyers uh, on the, the tables as you come in and, and leave uh, this, this morning so that you can see a little bit about what, what goes on there. And there are opportunities for you to, to come alongside. And uh, as Christians, we are to be culturally informed and culturally engaged and this is one of those times where we try to to make sure that we are informed of what's going on in our culture and and challenge you to be engaged but one of the challenges around an issue like uh, abortion or 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 life is that not everyone shares the same opinion richard beck uh, a professor at acu in his book uh unclean writes about what he calls the the monster myth that is that we create these these monsters these people that that they disagree with us we turn them into monsters and the challenge with that is that that we oft, so often become the monsters that we don't like in our effort to destroy the monsters stories like frankenstein and beauty and the beast they serve as warnings to, to not choose that way, to, but to be different. And as Christians, we are distinct. 
There is something that defines us that is different than just our, our beliefs. It's different than just our, our outrage. But we engage in this world differently. If you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, Jesus has been out of town for a few weeks. And the first worship day that He is back in His hometown, He was given the responsibility of providing the teaching for that gathering. For His text, He chooses a passage out of Isaiah chapter 61 that is about the, the coming kingdom of God. He puts aside the, the scroll that he was reading from and he announces to everyone that this is now taking place today. That I am the one that these words are, are written about. And in verse 22, it says that, that the crowd, that they were amazed at the gracious words that he was speaking. But then you skip down to verse 28, and that same crowd that was amazed at his gracious words, they are now furious at him. Which begs the question, what, what happens between verse 22 and being amazed at his gracious words and being furious at him? So let's read what Jesus says that has them in such a rage. Verse 24 is where we'll pick up. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Now those words don't, don't sound like it would be uh, that controversial. I mean, he's just reminding them of some stories that took place in the, the history of how God worked and how God used certain prophets. But it was those two stories that had them so upset. Because what Jesus was doing through those two stories was expanding the boundaries of the kingdom of God. As he announced that the kingdom of God is now coming and what was going to take place in that kingdom of God, he says in those two stories that this does not just include the Jewish people. That it never has. With Elijah and Elisha, there were people that were in need during that day. But God didn't send them to the people of Israel. God sent them outside the wall. Outside the wall that, that Israel had erected around itself. And perhaps the story of Naaman was the most enraging because Naaman had leprosy. For us, leprosy is just a concept. We don't have personal experience with that disease. 
Leprosy was a, a skin disease. Well, actually, it, it, uh, it killed the nerves in, uh, in the body so that you could not feel pain. It resulted in a number of injuries and, and uh, flesh that was, that was just rotting. And it carried with it this stench that you could not get rid of. It's worse than going out to the dumpster to take out your trash and you open it up and the, that you get that waft of, uh, of that, that, that terrible stench. It was worse than that. And, and so the, the, the people of God, the, the nation of Israel, they looked at, at those kinds of people and they believed that they deserved what they had gotten. That they had this disease because God was judging them. And it wasn't just leprosy, it was a number of other illnesses that Jesus, throughout His ministry, He doesn't just heal them, but He touches them. He eats with them, He sits down and, and engages in conversation with them, and throughout the, the Gospels you see that the people getting furious at Jesus because He's enlarging the borders of the kingdom of God. He's allowing the stinky, smelly people inside. Anytime we encounter something that is outside of our bodies, it can engage the gag reflex. It, it creates this disgust within us. Many of you may remember a commercial from several years ago, a few decades ago now, a Pittsburgh Steeler football player that was walking into the locker room after a football game, and there was a little boy in the hallway, and nobody seems to ask how the little boy got access to that hallway, but he's drinking a Coca-Cola, and he offers it to the Pittsburgh Steeler. He drinks it, then begins to walk away, and he says, hey kid, catch, and he throws his game-worn jersey at that young boy. That is presented as this kind of uh, sentimental moment. But whenever I see that, I'm disgusted. Because that jersey has blood on it. That jersey has sweat on it. And yet this boy is just, you know, he's catching it in the face and he's going to take it home and it, it, it stinks. And perhaps what, what makes it so bad for me is that I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan and nobody wants anything that's from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's the problem with disgust. Because disgust isn't just something that, that we experience in relation to food, but there is this sensation of moral disgust. And that sensation is intensified whenever it is someone that is of the other team. There's been studies conducted that uh, they, they present a, a group of people some sweaty jerseys. And whenever they tell them that that jersey is from the, uh, a rival team, they find that smell more disgusting than if they're told that that jersey is from their own team. It's the same sweat. It's the same stench. But somehow, it smells 
different whenever it is of our own team. And for those of us who are committed followers of Jesus and we are committed to being culturally informed and culturally engaged, disgust, it, it destroys engagement. It destroys our ability to engage in this world. Last week we introduced the series by looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as Paul, out of the, the hope that, that we have of the resurrection, the, the bright and glorious future that lies ahead of us, he then turns his attention to how we live in between now and then. And he says that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, that we are to, to get involved in culture. In verse 16, he says that, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. John Gottman is a uh, marriage researcher and he has made claims that he can watch a couple interact for about 15 minutes and he can predict with about 94% accuracy whether or not that couple will end up getting a divorce. Throughout his studies, he looks for certain indications that they have reached a, a, a level of disagreement that is going to end in the demise of their marriage. And one of the main factors that he looks for is disgust. Because if you are disgusted, if you are revolted by the other person, you can no longer engage in a relationship with them. And what that means for us as ministers of reconciliation is that you cannot, you cannot hate someone. You cannot be despised by someone or, or despise someone and reach them. Now, the counter-argument to this is that, that we should experience disgust to sin. That we should be revolted by what, what, what sin does. But the problem is that, sin, that, that our disgust is selective. And in that, disgust distorts our view of sin. Because I'm more disgusted by your sin or by the sin of someone else that is outside than I am of my own sin. That's why Jesus warned against judging. It wasn't because others may or others are right. It's not because they are somehow cleaner but it's because it distracts us from our own sinfulness. And he uses that, that imagery of, of having a, an entire two-by-four stuck in your own eye. But because of disgust, you're so focused on their, their sin. You're so focused on theirs that you don't even, you, you lose the awareness of, of the sin that is in your own life. And we see that played out through the Gospels uh, as time and again, uh, somebody like uh, Judas 
In John chapter 12, they're, they're gathered around a meal and there's a woman that has come and she has broken a bottle of perfume and poured it on Jesus. In John 12, verse 6, we're told that Judas is upset uh, about this waste of money. But John tells us that he didn't say that because he really cared about the poor, but rather because he was skimming off of the, the collection. He was, he was stealing from what they collected. But his outrage was sent outwards, ignoring his own sinfulness. But the Gospel of Jesus Christ invites us to move beyond our disgust and to engage in empathy. Darwin has been cited as writing about the survival of the fittest. What is less known is that he also wrote about humanity's future, that that it it rests in the, the survival of the nicest. That it wasn't just the, the, the fact that, that, that creatures were stronger, that they could dominate, that led to their success in the future, but it was the compassion that they had one another. There's an internet personality by the name of Destin Sandlin that creates videos uh, often about science and he tries to take concepts and explain them uh, from a, not just a scientific worldview, but also a Christian worldview. On a trip to the, uh, the Amazon jungle, he encountered a, a site that he'd never seen before. It was a, a, just a, a stack of centipedes that were, were crawling along the ground. It was uh, just, just dozens or hundreds of these centipedes that were all together. They were moving in this pack. And it baffled him as to, to why they would do that because it looks like it would expose them to more risk. It would put them in more danger. And then he began to try and understand why they would move in this way. Why would they would they would move in this pack and, and as they moved, those that were in the back, they would climb on the backs of the others and eventually move to the front. He explained why it works for them using Legos. And I want you to watch the, these 30 seconds as he explains taking uh, Legos and having one Lego versus a pack and moving each individual Lego, just one spot on this Lego board. Okay, to demonstrate this, we're going to have a Lego drag race. You can see I've got a single caterpillar on this side, and I have a whole group of caterpillars on this side. At each frame, I'm going to move the single caterpillar one click, and I'm going to move the ones on bottom one click, as well as the ones rolling across the top one click. Keep your eyes on the blue caterpillars. Ready, set, wiggle. So you can see from our little race here that the caterpillar that was by himself is a lot slower than the caterpillar that was in. You see the, the, the dramatic difference that, that it makes whenever they are, are working together. 
I've shared with you before the, the research that was done by Rodney Stark as he looked at, at why Christianity has exploded just from a, a historical standpoint. Take the miracles, take the Holy Spirit out of it and just looking at a historical standpoint, why does it spread so rapidly and spread across the globe? And what he identified was the love that they had. That in times like when, when the, the, the Black Plague came and, and most of the world, they were just casting out anyone who had any kind of illness. It was the Christians that took them in and they, they cared for them at, and putting themselves at, at risk. They were expanding their borders while everyone else was closing in the ranks. But that's not information that we often hear. Because the truth is that, that what we consume disciples us for good or for evil. Ed Stetzer wrote a book called Christians in the Age of Outrage that was part of the inspiration for this particular series. And in it, he realized that during the, the, the last presidential election that he was more interested in listening to Rush Limbaugh than praying for Hillary Clinton. We've spent a lot of time over the last few weeks talking about the, the fact that we are all being formed by something. And too many of us are not being careful about what it is that we consume. We have these devices that we carry with us at all times and we think that we have access to, to the, the, the world of information and yet the, through, through algorithms, these social media platforms that we have, they tailor all of the information that we see to fit our beliefs. The news channels that you watch their goal, they, their success is dependent upon your continued engagement. And the easiest way to do that is to get you riled up, to get you in a rage. And so they'll tell you the worst of humanity and they'll present you the, the worst picture of the others. But Paul says that we, from now on, we no longer regard one another from a worldly point of view. That we have been transformed and that, that gives us a new worldview. It changes the way that we see one another. I'm sure that you have heard the phrase that begins with the words, love the sinner. And often that phrase is ended with, but hate the sin. I want to suggest to you this morning that there's a better understanding, a more gospel-centered completion to that sentence. That is that we love the sinner as I have been loved. In Romans 5, verse 8, Paul says that, that God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we are still sinners... Christ died for us. See, the Christian worldview 
leans into empathy because of the understanding that if it weren't for the grace of God, my sins would be worse than the objects of my outrage. On December 5th, 2013, 33-year-old chemistry teacher from Austin, Texas, Ronnie Smith, who had been serving in the International School of Benghazi for some time, was removed forcibly out of his black Jeep by four unidentified assailants and was was shot to death. In the days immediately following, his wife, Anita, who is now left a widow and mother of a, a very young son named Hosea, appeared on Anderson Cooper. And in the interview, she said repeatedly that she forgives these people who had killed her husband because he was an American, because he was a Christian. That she didn't hold anything against them. And she said that it it has to be God's Spirit pushing me to show them that this is what God wants them to see. And Anderson Cooper kept pushing and and pushing and and trying to, to get her to to say that she was outraged by this and she continued to say, I forgive them. And I know it doesn't make any sense, but it's because of Jesus. The worldview of anyone who follows Jesus leans into into empathy and not disgust. Yes, we we see the damage that that sin creates. But because of Jesus, we are able to push past our, our gag reflex and we are able to engage and to have compassion and empathy and to love. Because we too have experienced the love. We too have experienced the grace that is available in Jesus Christ. Again, Paul writes this out of the hope of our future that is solely dependent upon the grace of God. The hard truth is that you are not saved because you are good. You are not saved because you have the right doctrine. You are not saved because you're attending the right church. You are saved because of the grace of God. And we lean into that grace this morning. As we continue in worship and we sing more songs, we invite you to respond to that grace. To think about how you engage in this world and how you you see people who have differences of opinion or who, who live different lifestyles differently because of Jesus Christ. And we invite you to come and to, ex- to receive that grace that is available because He died while you are still in your sins. Some of our shepherds will be at the back of the worship center. I'll be at the front. If we can assist you, we invite you to come as we stand together to sing.